And I invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn with me to Thessalonians, not Thessalonians, Acts chapter 17, Acts chapter number 17. There was a man born around the same time as Jesus was, but he was born on the other side of the Mediterranean. This man was also a Jew, but he was from the tribe of Benjamin. Jesus Christ was from the tribe of Judah. Benjamin was the brother of Joseph, who was the son of Rachel. Jacob, in the Old Testament, Jacob's true love and sacred wife, you might say. This man we're talking about grew up to be a rabbi and a scholar of Judaism, and he joined as an adult an elite theological group called the Pharisees. This man's name was Saul, and he was some renowned in his time and, and with a lot of prestige. In the post-Pentecost period, after the resurrection of Jesus Christ and after the Pentecostal outpouring, on the day of Pentecost, the Apostle Paul, not the Apostle Paul, but this man named Saul, who became the Apostle Paul, he devoted the next 10 or 12 years of his life to full-fledged persecution of Christianity. He persecuted Christians to the max, to the max. He helped to put Christians in jail. He led efforts to beat them while they were in jail and on the way to jail. He even consented to the death of persons who were Christians. But then one day, he had his own experience with Jesus Christ personally, and he became a Christian. You can read about that in Acts chapter number 9. Then Paul, who had been a wreaker of havoc, became an object of persecution because he had become a Christian. And undaunted, Unfazed by the persecution he, he experienced, he traveled all around the Mediterranean for the rest of his life, preaching the gospel of God's grace to sinners. And you can read more about the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts, but today I want you just to turn to Acts chapter 17. And I want to take a small reading here from this passage, Acts number 17. Acts chapter 17. And let's start reading at verse number 1. And when they had passed through Amphipolis, Amphipopolis, you might say, Amphipolis, Amphipolis, Amphipopolis, Amphipolis, I'm putting two P's and there's only one P, it's Amphipolis. Right now is when I wish I had my old authorized version. It's because it has all these little marks that tells you how to pronounce these things. And so as he went through Amphipolis and the next place, <laughs> they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, saying, This Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob and set the city in an uproar and attacked the house of Jason, seeking to bring them out to the crowd. And when they could not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city authorities, shouting, These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also, and Jason has received them. 
And they were all acting, and they are all acting against the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. And the people and the city authorities were disturbed then, disturbed when they heard these things. And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. And the brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived there, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Let's make a prayer together. Father, I pray that you help me, help me as I, I give this sermon this morning. And um, I trust the Holy Spirit to, to, use, to use it as you see fit. And I pray most of all, Lord, that you would use it to help Christians love you more and to help those who are not Christians to see that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world especially and powerfully the Savior of those who believe in Jesus. Amen. As you read the, the life of the Apostle Paul, read, read through the book of Acts, you'll see the Apostle Paul spends lots of times in big cities. Now, we live here in Sheboygan, and Sheboygan doesn't quite, doesn't quite, make the, doesn't quite live up to big city, does it? It's a small town. It's a, got that hometown feel where sometimes you feel it a lot. <laughs> because everybody knows somebody who knows somebody who knows somebody who knows what you've been up to. <laughs> Got that hometown feel. But in a big city, it's not like that. Now, why does the Apostle Paul, why does he prefer to go to big cities? Why does he minister in the major metropolitan areas of his times? It's because big cities influence communities and nations. The big cities are the centers of influence. A friend of mine who pastors in Monrovia, California, he told me, he said, Terry, if I had my whole life to live over again as a Christian minister, I would have moved, I would move to California. As soon as I finished seminary, I would have moved to California and gotten a job in some kind of Fortune 500 company. And I would have started a little church on the side, a Bible study. And he said, I would, just have, I would have networked and had small groups, and never, had, never, had a, a, never started one central church. I would just work through small groups of people because California shapes America. I thought, wow. And he, he goes through, and he, and he told me, he said, I've gone through, and he's, he had read a book about this, how there's all these, these trends that take place that everything big and influential in America starts in California and sweeps east. And he said, if only we could get a wave of gospel from west coast to east coast. Big cities influence people. Now, we, you know where we live at sometimes? Of course, when I was a kid, I, we lived in Illinois when I was a kid. And when you, somebody, when you tell somebody you're from Illinois... They always say, Chicago? Now, if you are from central Illinois or southern Illinois, and somebody asks you if you're from Chicago, there's two things that come through your mind. Should I cuss them or punch them? <laughs> Nobody outside of Chicago in Illinois likes Chicago because Chicago just messes up the whole state. I mean, you have this massive center of defilement on Lake Michigan that's produced the most vicious thing in the world, the Chicago Cubs. <laughs> Just taints the whole state. I mean, 
We can't get rid of them. There they are. Big cities influence. We don't know how much they influence us, but they do. Because we live here in Sheboygan, and we're always whining and complaining about how the big city downstate, Detroit, or Lansing, those major areas where all the people are, how they mess up our lives up here. But big cities influence. Big cities influence. This is why the Apostle Paul, this is one of the key factors to the rise of Christianity, is the Apostle Paul, he, he travels in these major metropolitan areas, traveling the Romans' road, you might say, preaching to these places, these centers where there are lots of people. And so Paul spends a lot of time in big cities. And when Paul goes to this big city of Thessalonica, which is a place we don't probably think understand too well, but Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia. It's the Roman capital of the region. It's the most influential place in the area. And Paul goes there, and when he arrives there, he does what he always does. He goes to the synagogues. Now, Paul would usually go to the synagogues first because there were people there who were already reading and looking at the Bible. They were people who were already interested in messianic prophecies. It was kind of a a primed well or a primed pump, a place where he had an immediate foothold. And he would go in there and he would talk to them about Jesus, who is the Messiah, Jesus, who is the Christ, and he reasons with them. Now, the result of Paul's reasoning with them is that some of the people who heard Paul's teaching Some of those people were persuaded to believe. Some of them believed. Some of them heard his claims. Some of them heard his message and his testimony of how he met Christ himself, how Christ was risen from the dead, and he was the great forgiver of sins, promised in the scriptures that he was the root of Isaiah 53 that Israel tripped over, the root who was in the ground but now is risen with the scepter of righteousness to save all who would believe in him. Some people believed that message, but not everybody believed it. That's the way it always is. When the gospel is preached, there's always some who believe, but not everybody believes. Not everybody believes. If you ever get into marketing and strategy, you look, you look at, a, at an area and you think, well, how many potential customers do I have here for my business? And, you know, nobody Nobody expects 100% market domination. Nobody does it. There's a, there's a reasonable amount of people here. This is how many we expect to get market share. Nobody thinks that everybody's going to get in. And that's the way it is with the gospel too. Some persons will hear the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ and they'll believe and some people won't. Now just because not everybody will believe we have to be careful we don't, we don't let that get us down. I re, I'm reading this book. It's, it's really delicious to my mind. It's, it's, a, it's a wonderful book. And one of the major claims of the book, which is very encouraging to me, is that Christianity is the largest religion in the world. Let me say that again. Christianity is the largest single religion in the world. Now, that doesn't mean everybody in the world is a Christian. But it means that Christianity is the largest single religion in the world. For a long time, we've been, we've been hearing a lot of flap about Islam. There's so many Islamic people in the world. 1.5 billion people. 
You know, have you ever seen that little, that little graphic that went around a few years ago, how they had projected that uh, the, uh, by 2050, all of Europe was going to be dominated by Islam? Have you seen that old graphic? It used to go around. Christianity is bigger than you think. But it doesn't mean that everybody is a Christian. Now, I don't want you to be discouraged about the gospel because uh, sometimes you go a long time without seeing somebody get saved. Sometimes you go a long time. But just because somebody's not getting saved in your zip code doesn't mean nobody's getting saved anywhere else. Right? Every day the gospel is preached in the world we live in. Every single day the gospel is preached somewhere. And every single day somebody is coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Every single day. The kingdom of God is, has, has, has never ceased and is never going to cease its expansion until Jesus returns and calls, calls it done. The kingdom of God is expanding all across this world in places and ways you and I can't even imagine or comprehend. If we, if we did comprehend it fully, we'd be so happy we'd give up fishing. I mean, it's just, it's just really bigger than you can imagine. Now, we can't let it get us down. Now, everyone who gets saved, or everyone who is going to get saved, gets saved because of God's purpose. It's part of God's purpose. It's a strange way to do things, to think that what I'm doing now is a central part of God expanding his kingdom, preaching the gospel. Everybody who gets saved or will get saved, gets saved because God has purposed it before the foundation of the world that they would be saved, they would hear it. God works all these things together for his own glory, according to his own purpose in ways we can't really understand. But we do have to have trust in God. God's doing something. God is doing something. You know, last Sunday, I preached a sermon. Now, you guys, don't take this the wrong way. Last Sunday might have been the worst sermon I've preached in a long time. Thank you for not saying amen. <laughs> but, you know, while, while I'm giving the sermon... I thought, this sermon stinks. What would a normal person do when you think your sermon stinks? Quit! But not me. Because I'm going to stink it up big time. <laughs> and so I gave this sermon. I got back to the house. You know, I'm talking to Valerie and Valerie. I, 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 I care about Valerie's opinion more than anybody else's. And Valerie, you know, sometimes I'll go home and she'll say, man, that was a good sermon. And when she says good sermon, I think that was a really good sermon. Every once in a while, one of my kids will say good sermon, and that really floats my boat. You know, but I didn't get a lot of positive affirmation when I got home last week. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't get a withering storm of criticism, but I just got just enough, just a few things to, to make me think, you know, Terry, maybe you need a new line of work. <laughs> you know, but I'll tell you this, uh, John MacArthur says, you only have to preach one good sermon a month. <laughs> and so, hopefully it's already happened. In, I got one more Sunday in May. <laughs> then I get a couple more in June. So, uh, however, that being said, I did have somebody say to me during the week that it was a sermon that had parts of it that were good, that they thought were good. Now, that I found that very encouraging. 
Because you, you have to realize that God, 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 God takes crooked sticks and draws straight lines. Right? God uses the weak things of this world to confound the wise. God's ways aren't like our ways. The Bible says that in Jesus Christ there was no comeliness in his flesh that men would desire him. If you're going to send a super king into the world, what would you make him look like? Six foot three, 195 pounds, broad shoulders, narrow waist, size 13 feet, big hands. Long, beautiful, black hair with a beard with gray in it. (laughs) You'd send somebody in the world who was stunning, somebody who inspires confidence, that regal Roman nose, you know. But what, 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 what did Jesus look like? No comeliness in his flesh that we'll desire. Unattractive. Not malformed, not disfigured, but average. Maybe a step below average, but what does this man do? Rises from the dead, changes the world, heals the blind, raises the dead. It's incredible. What we have to learn to do is trust in God's purposes, how God is working. What you and I need to do in our sharing of the gospel is do what Paul did in verse 3. Is he went to the synagogue, he taught the gospel, he trusted God to do the results. He left it in God's hands. Teach the gospel, leave it in God's hands. Now, our Bible tells us that Paul was only there a short time, only about 21 days. Three Sabbath days, let's give him three weeks. Three times seven is 18. Three times seven is what, class? 21. You see, when you fail math class, you become a pastor. Because <laughs> you get other people to count the offerings. <laughs> Just a short time. Eight, what can you do in 18 miserable, rotten days? How many days? 21 days. What can you do in 21 days? What can you accomplish? Not much. He's there and it, it thinks things are not going that well. Some people believe, but then those who don't believe, they, jo- they don't just not believe, they don't believe and get angry about it. The gospel he preaches in verses 5 through 9 creates civil and social unrest because the gospel has the power to disrupt the peace of a city. And it's amazing. Believe it or not, the gospel can even disrupt the rest of a church. Because the light of the gospel is a disruptive light. Sometimes when you share the gospel with somebody, you're going to have some people who hear it, and it's just like water to a dry soul. But some people who hear it, it makes them angry because of something the Bible says. I was sitting at McDonald's this week, and uh, I was sitting at table number 124. I was sitting at the same table at McDonald's, the new McDonald's. I got the McDonald's app. You know, I've, I've, I've bought enough stuff down there that I get, I get free rewards. Did you guys use the McDonald's app? An app is something you download on your phone. (laughs) 
And the McDonald's app, it, has provide, it provides me with rewards. And the cheapest thing you can get for free down there, the fewest number of points, is a McChicken sandwich. It's 1,500 points. And I maintain a running balance of, I don't know, I don't want to tell you. <laughs> but I go down there and get my free McChicken. And I get a cup of coffee, and I sit down there and eat lunch, and I, I, I go there fairly often because I have a... Anyway. So I'm sitting there. I'm at the table. I'm eating my McChicken sandwich. No mayo. Add tomato with lettuce. Drink coffee, and across from me are sitting three individuals. Let's call them Jose, Erica, and Andrew. <laughs> just, just three people who I don't know are sitting over there, and uh, and, and they're 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 near to me, and I'm eating, and and the, the one old lady she says, "I'll tell you what, I don't like that pastor." Boy, my little ear went whoop. And I looked at him real careful to be sure it wasn't somebody I knew. I was like, now have I seen these people before? And I hadn't seen them. It was two ladies and a man. And they were talking. And they are wound up about the pastor that they got and the new one they're getting. Some of the things they said there are not appropriate for this setting. But they were wound up about it. And then the lady, she says, where am I going to go to church if I can't go over there? And I thought, well, I want to know where she's going to. And I thought, you know, I know a good church she could go to. And, and, and listen, friends, I bit my tongue a hundred times. I wanted to say, hey, say something to them. When she said she was looking for a church, I thought, hey, I know a good one. But then she said, Aaron, you know what she said? She said, but I can't go to that Baptist church. (laughs) I thought, I'm glad I kept my mouth shut. I'm going to get some good dope right here, man. And then she said, my niece went over there three weeks ago. And I thought, who is her niece? And she came home and said, she ain't never going back because they told her she's going to hell. And I thought, well, I didn't tell anybody personally that they're going to hell. But we do talk about that here. She was wound up. And she said, there's two reasons I can't go to the Baptist church. She said, number one, this is so funny to me. I don't like holy rollers. Now, friends, we are as bad as far as you can get from being a holy roller church right here. I mean, we are. We're not even in the same galaxy as that. And then she she said, and I can't stand that hell talk. Went from something that was so cotton pick and funny to me to something that was really, really sad to me. Because hell is a real place. And people are going there. 
and they got to be warned about it. The reason you should put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ is because without doing that, you're going to wind up in hell. And Jesus is the only one who can save you from it. Jesus is the only way. And listen, my friends, Jesus Christ and God, they're so merciful and so gracious, they have worked it out so you can miss hell without an incredible amount of work on your part. What you have to do is turn in faith to Jesus calling upon him, asking him to save you, believing in your heart that he's the son of God and God has raised him from the dead, putting your faith in him and you can be saved. You can have all your sins forgiven. Past, present, and future sins. They can all be remitted because the blood of Jesus Christ has the power when you put your faith in him, Lord Jesus, save me. It's, in my mind, I see it like this, is that he takes... Just, just go with me for a second. I'm thinking about this. In his mind, I can see him. When we call upon him, he rises from the throne, goes to a basin of his own precious blood, and puts his fingers in it, and goes to our account, to the record of our sins, and he smears them all out so that all you can see is his own precious blood cleansing your record. When you put your faith in Christ... All of your sins are taken care of. And it's it's a wonderful thing because once he's erased your sins from that book, nothing else can be written there. No ink will stick because all your sins have been taken care of by Jesus Christ. Put your faith in him. So I was thinking about this conversation these people had, and I thought, man, what, what would it be like if, if somebody actually preached the Bible to the church they went to? You see, I think you, could go to, I think you could go to their church, and I don't know what church it is. I tried to figure it out, but I couldn't figure it out. I even made a couple phone calls. To try to narrow it down. <laughs> you know, I would, I would think that the church that they went to, if, if, that's, if that's a sample of their congregation, it, it could be a bad example of their congregation because every church has people who are, who are, are not that snappy, right? <laughs> I just saw something happen back there that... <laughs> I wish I could share it with you. <laughs> I forgot what I was going to say. A lot of people not that snappy. Every, every church can have people who are, just, who, are, who are just on the edge. They're not really interested in Christ. Every church has some unsaved people in it. But wouldn't it be awful to go to a church where you open the Bible and teach what the Bible actually says and have people get mad about it? But that does happen sometimes. I thought to myself, what if I wound up? Because they're talking about the new pastor coming in. I thought, what if that was me going into a brand new congregation? Am I going there with, the, with my Bible? Stand up there and talk to people? I wonder how they would take it. God's word can disrupt the peace of a church sometimes. 
God's word can disrupt the peace of a church sometimes. It can happen. I was thinking about preaching through the book of Philippians this summer here. But I decided not to because the last time I preached through Philippians in a church, it split the church. We had a church split right in the middle of it. And I remember I went and talked to this lady who was leaving the church, and I said, hey, sis, not sis. I said, you know, why are you guys leaving? She said, because that sermon you preached from Philippians. Philippians is the most positive book in the New Testament. I said, what particular sermon was it? All of them. (laughs) You know, it, it, it can disrupt the peace of a church sometimes. That's a sad byproduct of Paul's preaching. Now, I just want to say this to you, friends. If you're at McDonald's, don't complain about your church. (laughs) (laughs) Keep it in the privacy of your own house. (laughs) Now, here in this text, this disruption causes the people to talk about another king. It's in verse number 7. They say, this guy, this guy, Paul, is talking about another king besides Caesar, Caesar, another sovereign whose name is Jesus. And this is such a good reminder to us that there is actually in this world a super sovereign who will one day set up his visible throne on this earth, and his name is Jesus. If we had the time, we could take the time to read from Revelation 19, verses 11 through 20, verse 13 talks about when Christ sets up his kingdom. How he's going to come down from heaven. He's going to mete out justice upon the world. And with the sword that proceeds from his mouth, with a word, he's going to destroy his enemies and set up a kingdom of righteousness. And then in chapter 20 it says that an angel is going to come with him. An angel who has been deputized by him to grab Satan and bind him with a chain and put him in the abyss for a thousand years and will live in a world without the curse of sin and without Satan for a thousand years. This is the Christ who's going to come. If you read that passage there in Revelation 20, you'll see that there's this great separation of people. Those who are Born again, Christians will be separated to one side and those who are not will be set to one side and there will be a great judgment that takes place. This judgment is such an interesting judgment because every every person whose name is in the Lamb's book of life goes to heaven. Every person whose name is in the book of life goes to heaven. Everybody else is judged by their works. And everybody who is judged by their works, whose name is not in the book of life, is going to go to hell. The lake of fire, the final place. And so, you know, why do they have to be judged? That way they get the appropriate level of punishment. Because everybody's going to get exactly what they deserve. Except those whose name is in the book. You see, everybody whose name is in the land's book of life is going to get to go to heaven, but they don't deserve it. They're going to go to heaven because Jesus died for them and paid for their sins. Jesus died for them. And if you want to go to heaven, you've got to put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. It's got to be something you do on purpose. 
Got to do it on purpose. Put your faith in Christ. You can do it right this moment. In your heart, you could say, you know, Jesus is my Savior. I'm trusting him for my forgiveness of sins, and he'll forgive you. Put your faith and trust in Jesus. Now, <clears throat> there's a sad moment here in verse number 10. All this drama at Thessalonica, 21 days, Paul's preaching, social and civil unrest. In verse 10, it says that Paul has to leave town. He has to leave Thessalonica because things just get too hot for him. Now, I don't think the temperature was too hot for Paul because Paul, I think, could take anything. But it got too hot for those people who were around Paul. A friend of mine was a pastor, not a pastor, he was a missionary in northern Mexico, uh, Aguas Calientes, uh, it's hot water, the hot springs of, of uh, northern, one of the northern Mexican states, I think it's Chihuahua. And he was, he was there, and he was preaching and had a nice little church going, but then the drug cartels came in, and they ran off the Catholic priest who was there, and they put in a cartel priest, which was kind of an interesting thing because the cartels have priests who will kind of work with them. So they put in a cartel priest, and then they didn't like having this, this Baptist church in this little town, and so they couldn't beat up my friend, whose name is, uh, sort of thing is Alan. He's in Puerto Rico, and I can't remember his last name. Um, they couldn't beat up Alan because you can't beat up an American national and get by with it. That would bring down the heat of the United States. So he had an assistant pastor, and when his assistant pastor was out making calls and door knocking, invite people to come to church and doing his pastoral work, the cartel would pick up his associate pastor, take him to a dark room somewhere, and beat the dog out of him and drop him off in front of the church. You know, and after this happened two or three times, they told the guy, they said, look, we'll leave you guys alone if you get that gringo out of there. We'll let you do what you're doing. You're not bothering us. You guys can have your church. You can preach your messages. We'll leave you alone. Just got to get rid of that American. And so my friend Alan, he has a choice to make. What's he, what, what, choice is, what choice does he make? Well, he moved. Went to Puerto Rico. Pastor a church over there called Lighthouse Baptist Church. <coughs> Now, it wasn't because Alan couldn't take the heat. It was because Alan's presence was causing someone else to suffer. And I think this is what you see in the Apostle Paul at Thessalonica too. Paul is the, Paul is the lightning rod. Paul's getting the heat. And so the brothers say, look, Paul, why don't you just go down the road to Berea to the next place? Maybe it'll be better for you down there. And that's exactly what Paul does. Paul moves. But here is Paul. He has these believers, these people who are not Christians, but now they're Christians. He's only been with them 21 days. He's only been with them 21 days. And I'm sure he's tried to tell them everything he can tell them in that short time period, but now he has to leave them. He has to take these baby Christians and entrust them to somebody. Will they be okay? Are they going to make it? Can the gospel last in such a hostile place? Will those people who were persuaded to believe, will they be able to withstand? Will they stay true? Will the anger of their city officials, will, the, will they be able to put out the light of the gospel in this little town, this city? Are the sinners of Thessalonica more powerful than the Holy Spirit? Well, the answer is found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. If you have your copy of God's Word, Look at it right quick. First Thessalonians. This is written one year later. One year later. 
The word, the name Silvanus here, I think is the same as Silas. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. The church? An organized assembly of baptized believers? A church? There was no church when he went there. But there's a church there now. Well, what kind of church is it? Look at verse 2. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of God sounded forth from you, Paul was the sounder forth of the word of God, but now from the Thessalonians the word of God is being sounded forth. Sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia. But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. Well, my friends, did they last? Was 21 days enough? It was. It became an example to the whole region because the gospel, the power of the gospel is sufficient. The Holy Spirit really can and does do amazing work and you can trust the Holy Spirit. You can trust the Holy Spirit to work in people's hearts and lives. You can actually pray about something and then do nothing. And God will work it out. You can trust the Holy Spirit. You see, sometimes your personal faith can make your life more difficult. And that's what happens at Thessalonica. But they kept at it. They kept on following in the footsteps of the Apostle Paul. Now, what about us? What's our our takeaway? Let me give you... One, two, three, four things, okay? And we'll do them right quick. Right quick. What a dumb thing to say, right quick. We'll do them quickly. Number one, make the, if you're a Christian, make the gospel normal to your life. Make the gospel normal to your life. Talk about the gospel and Jesus the way you talk about fishing, sports, the weather, clothes, and recipes. Just talk about Jesus all the cotton pick and time. Just talk about him all the time. Wherever you go, just normal. I'm married, and when I'm talking about stuff, I say, oh, my wife said this, my wife did that. I got kids. One of my kids said, I talk about it because they're a normal part of my life. Talking about Jesus, just let it be a normal part of your life. Don't have just Jesus on Sunday, or just Jesus on Wednesday, or just Jesus on special witnessing nights or during VBS, but just talk about Jesus all the time. Let it be a normal part of your life. You say, well, people are going to think I'm weird. 
They already think you're weird. <laughs> you know how to spot a weird person around here? Is they're wearing green and white. <laughs> People already think you're weird. Just talk about Jesus everywhere you go. No, no, I mean go to, go to Walmart and you're checking out and say, you know Jesus and rattle people, but talk about him in a normal kind of way if he's a part of your life. The Apostle Paul, wherever he goes, Jesus, come, Jesus comes up. When I'm playing basketball down at the rec center, I talk about, you know, praying about stuff. We were desperate for uh, basketball players, and I told the guys, why don't we just pray for some more basketball players? They're like, What? What we need to do is get on the phone. I said, let's get on the phone to heaven. <laughs> just, talk about, just talk about regular stuff. Make it a regular part of your life. And your, your friends may look at you a little bit funny sometimes, but it's okay. Just, just talk, just regular. Just regular. Talk about Jesus and the gospel. Make it normal to your life. Make it normal to your life. And that'll be helpful to you and to your friends because then when your friends hit the wall and they don't know where to turn, at least they know somebody who talks about Jesus a little bit. And they could, re- they could call you up and say, hey, man, could you pray for me? I, need, I, need, I got a question about something. And you can get them on the path to everlasting life. The second thing to take away is we should believe, trust, and rest in the power of God to fulfill his purpose. Trust God. I shared this with the men's Bible study yesterday, this week. Tim Keller died on uh, Friday, and um, I've benefited a lot from his ministry, especially in the last five years. But when he, uh, he made this statement, he said, I was talking, I'm quoting him now. This is an interview. He said, I was talking to Kathy. Kathy's his wife. And I told Kathy, you know, if Jesus really rose from the dead, everything's going to be okay. If Jesus really rose from the dead, everything's going to be all right. Well, my friends, Jesus did rise from the dead. So everything's going to be okay. If our leader, if our sovereign, if our king, if our savior, if our Lord can rise from the dead, you're going to be all right. It means he can handle anything. And it means you can handle anything with his help. You'll, you'll be all right, too. One of my friends is a primitive Baptist preacher. And uh, he was in Texas, now he's in Mississippi. He said, as long as the head's alive, the body will be all right. Our head's in heaven. He's already died and beat it. So you're going to be okay too. Trust in God. Now, thirdly, even if you stand fast, in tough times and get defeated, there is, there's a day of vindication coming. If you take the time to read the book of Revelation without trying to figure it out, you know, sometimes it's nice just to read the Bible without trying to figure it out. Just read the Bible and enjoy it. Just let it be like candy to your brain. Enjoy it. You know what the book of Revelation tells us? It says Christians win in the end. It says that nothing can stop Jesus. We're not fighting to victory. We're fighting from victory. It's going to be all right. Even if you stand and get defeated, 
You're going to be okay. There'll be another day. Now, the last thing I want to say is if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I want you to know that Jesus died to save you. And he rose from the dead to forgive your sins. And I want you to know that Jesus knows all about you. Jesus knows every sin you are now or have in the past committed. He knows them all. Nothing is hid from him. He knows. He knows exactly what you've done. He knows exactly what you are. He knows everything about you. And he still says to you, Romans 5, 8, but God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Before you ever existed, Jesus knew all of your sins. And his grace and mercy is so magnificent that he died on the cross for your sins. To forgive you because he loves you. He loves you. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, when we talk about Jesus, that's what we're talking about, someone who died, paid for your sins, and rose from the dead. And that rising from the dead is the proof that the full price was paid, the proof of purchase, that your sins were paid for in full. Jesus rose from the dead. And you may say, well, did Jesus really rise from the dead? He did. If you, if you take the historical accounts what you have about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you have first-hand accounts of people who saw him or saw people who saw him who rose from the dead. There's more historical evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ than there is probably for George Washington. Jesus really rose from the dead. And he ascended to heaven. And he's left behind the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is calling to you. Come to Christ. Christ will receive you. If you'll call out to him, he'll save you. You say, well, I would call out to him, but I don't understand the whole enchilada yet. I don't have enough information. I understand that. But you're going to go out there and you're going to get in your car. You're going to put your key in the ignition. Do you understand how all that works? Do you? Some of you got, don't even have a key for your car anymore. You got a fob. And you got it in your pocket. And when you walk up to your car, you're, what's your car going to do? Unlock. You're going to get in that car. You're going to push a, a, little, a little lighted button. It's going to start. You're going to drive it. Uh, Judy Staffin's not here, but she's, I think she's working. But you guys ask Judy about her new car. The most frightening car she's ever owned. You know why? Because it has built, it's got this radar thing, Jose. It's got, it's got cruise control. And so if you set your cruise at 110, like Jim Ackerman, <laughs> and you're going down the interstate, that thing, radar detects the car. You're getting too close to a car? It detects it and starts slowing you down. Isn't that madness? She said that she's driving down the road and she wants to change lanes. If she doesn't turn her blinker on, to change lanes or make a turn, the wheel will shake and tell her, you didn't use your turn signal. Isn't that crazy? 
back up. I mean, it, it's just amazing. You don't understand how any of that works, but you'll jump in your car and you'll, you'll entrust yourself with it and drive across town. Nobody knows how airbags and seatbelts work. Well, I say nobody. Somebody probably does. You, some of you guys probably do. You put your faith and trust and all kinds of stuff without knowing every single thing about it all the time. You're going to get in an airplane. My daughter's going to school. She's, she's, she's not going. She's, going. she's flying planes now. And she said, Dad, you want to go fly with me? Well... I wrote her a note, and I, I said, I can't wait till you can fly me around in my wheelchair. <laughs> so it's going to be a while. <laughs> you know, I don't understand how a plane works, but I've been on a plane lots of times. I jump in there and sit down, and pew, there you go. You don't have to know everything. What you need to know is Jesus died for your sins, he rose from the dead, and he'll have you. If you'll call upon him, he'll save you. And he'll keep you saved for all eternity. He'll give to you everlasting, eternal life. And John 6, 37 says, All that the Father has given to me comes to me, and those that come to me I will never cast out. Never cast out. Let's make a prayer together. Father, I thank you for this time to be together with my friends and loved ones here to worship you, and I pray that you'll bless, bless us. I pray that you would open our eyes to the gospel, Lord. We would understand it more completely, that we would cherish Christ like we've never cherished him before. Help us to have faith in you and your purpose to rest in your hands, knowing that you've got, you've got control of the situations. You're, you're doing things beyond our understanding and power. I pray that you would help us. And I pray these things in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen.